two days after the the debut with Jack and still kind of reeling from it, but I'm glad to be here with one of my absolute favorite people in the world, Zach Langley Chichi, host of I'm So Popular and the Patreon exclusive Sirens, which you all should be paying for. How are you tonight, Zach? Well, I guess morning for you. I'm great. I'm so privileged to be in the initial run of your show. Oh my God. Um, I think all the time about our own, you know, little podcast trajectory on my show from Konsatoshi to Resident Evil to the <laughs> birth of the new world. And um, I, I, I'm very privileged that you get to be a part of the I'm so popular extended universe. Oh my God. <laughs> yeah. I, it's so, I always just smile thinking about how, you know, our first episode where I came back from Hilton head and it's like the day I came back, I was like happy. He was like, Oh my God, I get to record with Zach. I was like, uh, I, it's always, it's been such an absolute joy and privilege to be on a journey with you, you know, season two uh to now with season three it's i i specifically wanted you as like part of this initial run uh because like jack i wanted to make very clear to the audience who my influences are for the show (gasps) so you know i i really do treasure i'm so popular as you know like every podcast you should be listening from start to beginning and (laughs) I think the journey of I'm so popular is the journey of, well, I think you and I think you as a person from season one to season three has been like such a fascinating, I mean, journey in and of itself. You know, I remember, you know, the early episodes, you know, the lost episodes. I remember, you know, the <laughs> the introduction of not popular. I remember popular thought revolution part three on your show and then i remember you know being i was like shocked when i saw dasha was the first season two guest and you know the fact that i you know got to be a part of the show relatively early in season two it's like a little memory a little gold nugget i treasure deeply oh god you just know how to flatter a gal don't you (laughs) my god i mean i I'm also a little riveted and terrified by the progression of my show. I think about like some of like the cute, like, like starry eyed episodes I used to do with like my frat brothers about the last of us. And like now it's like some enormous monstrosity entirely out of my control. It's like spinning around, but like, I mean, the best thing it's ever done is like introduce me to like you and Jack. And it's like, it's difficult for me to explain this to my, you know, IRL friends, but <laughs> we're like literally a daily part of my life, like you and Jack. And I'm so honored. Oh my God. And I, I'm just so happy to see you doing your own project. I think you have <laughs> such a unique voice. Um, this is a great idea. It's about time somebody does video <laughs> games in an artistic, worthwhile way. You're the only one to do it. Well, somebody had to do it and, you know, I had to twirl into a spin, so to say, Mm -hmm. Um, you know, it's, you know, I, you say it's like season, you know, your show spiraled out into this monstrosity, but it's to me, it's like, for me personally, I've known that you had this pot, this capability to like really take 
the world by for a spin. <laughs> yeah, she, <laughs> I knew that she had mother in her all along. <laughs> but you know, it's I, I'm a, I'm you know with season three specifically, it's just seeing you know you combining the old with the new. It's like you know I I get to experience so much things that I never got to experience. You know, same thing with TPN or filthy armenian adventures or agitator you name it it's like the podcast is like a medium to hear people speak on you know artistic creations that have affect their lives in a meaningful way you know i i always marvel at your ability to find something grand about simple things like you know for example the tati westbrook and james charles uh drama <laughs> you know i think it takes someone special to be able to craft an a story like this you know you know you did your season two finale and it's this grand operatic you know destruction of the world and you know it, with acting and music it's like i i i just always smile seeing the i'm so popular not notification on my phone it's like <gasps> i gasped <laughs> you're so sweet oh my god i could do a whole show just talking about my show <laughs> just kidding but you know uh enough you know telling each other how we're so great but i have brought us <laughs> are you here... sure uh, well you know <laughs> i have no time limit that's that's the thing is there's no time limit on my show as evidence as last episode um but i have brought you here together to discuss a very, very special game to me, Mirror's Edge. But before we get into that, I want to discuss briefly just that era of games, the PlayStation mm. 3. You know, yesterday, or not yesterday, the last episode was centered on the PlayStation 2 and why it was such a, you know, large presence, not in just gaming, but in culture as a whole. And, you know, when you look at the PlayStation 3 and when it came out and the promises it was making, you it seemed like it really was going to in a way be like the final game consoles. Like this is the yeah. we how can we go farther than this? It was the first HD console, you know, it could play Blu-ray movies, it could have DVDs and CDs, you could put photos on it, you could surf the internet, you know, you could play PlayStation two and one and playstation one games you know it you could run linux operating system on it i mean it seemed like the most like the final piece of electronics that you could ever own and you know i i will say that that you know the ps3 was the generation where i got obsessed to say the least with mm -hmm. games um but you know i wanted to talk to you like where where do you stand on the PlayStation 3 question? You know, well, yeah. I mean, the PlayStation 3 was my first big girl console. Um, <laughs> up until that point, I had literally only played games on Sega consoles. I'm not even kidding. Um, oh, yeah. My parents were a little... My mother was not very fond of me getting into video games. Um, and she restricted it at first to a Game Boy Advance and then a GameCube. And of course, every, you know, middle class American family had a Wii in their house, you know, <laughs> one Wii. Point. Yeah. But for me, um, I 
had always been so fascinated by like the aesthetics of like Japanese RPGs and like the Silent Hill games. And of course, all of that was happening on Sony consoles. And my parents had never got me one. I had asked for a Sony console for forever. <laughs> and it was when I turned, I think, 13 or maybe 12, my anime club, which was a bunch of uh, older men in their like 20s and 30s who hung out with a few teenagers like myself <laughs> in Central Oregon. They pulled their money together and got me a PS3 for my birthday. Oh, that's so sweet. It was. And I that PS3 was like my life force for like five years. It really was like my first access like into like serious gaming. And after that, I um I got a PS2. Uh I bought myself a PS4 eventually and I uh, have been quite the Sony loyalist ever since. Uh, same here. I remember I also got a PS3 at 13. And it was like, you know, when you look at the consoles, the the first one specifically, because they did it, they did two other reversions of it. Mm-hmm. But like that first model, just that all glossy black, just this like curved, like uh, like a obelisk almost with the... Mm-hmm with that unique font and uh i remember i remember like on tv just those early playstation 3 commercials like specifically the baby commercial uh which i thought was i still think it's like the greatest commercial ever made yeah it's you know and to think that they aired that to like 20 million people watching the world series for baseball is like that's it's kind of a serve it's like this is how you get people to be into your $600 entertainment system and you confuse the hell out of them saying, you know, uh, the PlayStation three makes a toy baby cry. Like, Mm -hmm. which is probably what most people is like. And I know that the general consensus, everyone was confused by it. Like they didn't know (laughs) what the hell this thing is while like you had the Xbox three sixties already out and everyone's like enjoying that. And then there's the Wii, the dreaded Wii console, uh it's like sony was positioning themselves as like you know the ruler of the industry i mean rightfully so at that period i don't blame them but you know you see these early ps3 games and they're just kind of like a little bit of a hit and miss uh Mm -hmm. like due to the fact that the ps3 was very much a nightmare to make games for uh it was extremely complicated and Sony was not really giving much help to people. It's like, mm. you have to buy this like several thousand dollar dev kit to make games for us and have fun with it. We're not really going to explain things to you. You figure it out. It's like, then you have games like Lair or uh, like uh, Haze that are just messes. They're just full like graphical messes that are just, they are like malfunctioning. And it's, you see, like, there's few bright spots, like Uncharted, which I dearly love Uncharted, which was one of the first PlayStation 3 games I ever got, which is the first Uncharted. Love it to bits. Uh, you know, referred to as Dude Raider at the time. Um, <laughs> but, you know, PS3 was my avenue into games. I mean, I had played an M-rated game the year before with Twisted Metal Black, as I mentioned last episode. 
but that was like the first time I went online to play games against mm. a, against older people and getting my ass handed to me as a 13 year old be like, I don't like this anymore. <laughs> <laughs> I like the idea that you mentioned earlier that like the PS3 was the final system. Like, mm-hmm. and I, I, I really feel like that rings true, both with like the promotional and advertising imagery and the, um like stanley kubrick uh design of the thing yeah and it feels really fascinating that sony seems to acknowledge the general nastiness that is the gaming habit like (laughs) it really brings that right to the front it like has like that dark like bizarre interaction with the other world like some you know, digital universe just beyond our reach that yeah. it, it brings to the world in uncanny flashes. Yeah. Um, whereas, like, Nintendo turns it all into, as I've said multiple times, the Fisher Price sex toy and Xbox just smells like Mountain Dew. Yeah, Mountain Dew Doritos and unwashed laundry college yeah. bros. But you yeah, know, like, it's like not, I hate how Xbox is like all of the imagery for like the 360 was like white and clean but because it was so white it's also easy to imagine it getting dirty and like having like (laughs) dust and hairs and stuff stuck to it yeah and stains and it's yeah you think of the 360 as just like it it just i say the ps3 was kind of malfunctioning like the x the 360 was malfunctioning literally like the red ring of red ring of death it's like (laughs) you know it's like trying to be all clean and proper and you know they designed it the way they did so they could break into Japan and then like the consoles flashing red lights at you saying, well, your system is totally broke and we can't do anything about it. It's like, I love that. Like um, the Xbox would sell like a grand total of about 50 consoles a week in Japan. Sometimes I just find that so amazing in this country of millions of people, only 50 said, I want that. (laughs) I, I just love like, Microsoft will always try desperately to break into Japan. And it's just like the most they ever can get in like a few months is like oh, 20,000. You know, it's just, I just think of like the 20,000 Japanese people who own like an, a Microsoft console. It's kind of cute. It like, is cute. <laughs> it, it, there, there are so many attempts by that company to like Japanify their system. Like the original Xbox, when it came to Japan, they made the controller smaller for Japanese hands. They <laughs> they advertised it with like Bill, uh, Bill Gates holding a burger with his tiny hands. It's like <laughs> I it's I I I admire it, but you know, you look at the PlayStation Three, and it's just so u- utilitarian. It's so omnipresent in your room. Like when you see it, it's yeah. just there and you and it just it's all it's not like it's watching you it's like it knows you're there and it's waiting for you to turn it on the red light waiting for you to press it and switch the device into life yeah i I, and i loved how you know you go from like because i had a playstation 2 it's like you press a button but the ps3 you just tap it and it just wakes up it's like i what? I'm thinking about that too. No, I'm like looking at my, I'm looking at Little Miss PS3. This is my second one. I, I sold my first one and then my Japanese friend uh, gave me her family's old one that she doesn't use. And um, 
it, it is a comforting, like, strange little magic item in your house with that yeah. one red light constantly yeah. glaring at you. And then when and when you boot it on, it has that orchestral, like, war- oh, warm-up warm sound. It's like, I'm, I'm being taken to a pleasant world, even though it's, like, trying to scare me. It's like, one, once you turn it on and you get the, the cross-media bar and it's like... You know, there's so many little things like if you put a CD in, it has its own visualizer mm-hmm. for uh, listening to music. You know, you had like the PlayStation Store and, you know, I remember PlayStation Home back in the day. I was I was I I found I have funny memories with that service uh, getting in trouble with my parents because I was up too late talking to strangers online. <laughs> Well, that that lesson did not pay out, huh? Um, <laughs> uh, <laughs> but like, I I think of just all the experiences that I had with the system. It's I you know people will deride the PS3 for being kind of a weird, awkward transition periods, you know. But I, I look back on all these games, you know, that I played at one point. You know, I said Uncharted, like Uncharted was like my blockbuster experience that mm-hmm. I got, you know, every two years, a new uncharted came out and the graphics were better and the action set pieces were somehow even more insane. Or I could get uh like a very sort of disturbing experience with a heavy rain, or I could, uh you know, put, uh, put in portal two. I remember playing portal oh, yeah. two and just like, I felt like I was being, taken into another world like i it's like a mixture of that period of being you know a young teenager and just being exposed to like the hd universe is so comforting to look back on it's you know you look at you know consoles now like you know playstation 5 it's like they're trying to replicate that feeling but it just doesn't work and you know, they try, they're trying to bring like, oh, you can purchase old, old games on it, but it's just, it doesn't feel like the PlayStation 3, like, you know, and I could say the same about the Vita, like, you know, you and I are very big Vita defenders. Mm-hmm. Um, It's like, when you booted up these consoles, I would even include the PSP in this category. It's like, you know, each, you are taken to like an alternate reality where, you know, like almost history was different like you get yeah i I, sorry oh my god i just you're so right about this you're driving me crazy like oh you go you go (laughs) you oh honey you go no like the playstation 3 like sony is you know just masterful at this when they let you turn your console on it gives you the exact note you need and the eeriness of the descending blocks and the ps2 mm-hmm. are like so perfect for that like a final scream of the analog before we go into a much more like digitally oriented system the ps3 and um like the clean rush of strings is really beautiful and i've only encountered a single ps5 in my entire life mm. and it was in the house of a professional um psychologist in his (laughs) in his early 30s who did a bunch of like really insane bdsm acts on me and um (laughs) he was like using me as a table or something while he was like 
flipping around on his PS5. And I just, the only time I've ever seen it was like him like thumbing between apps or whatever <laughs> on the home screen. And it was very uncanny. Yeah, it's I it's I I I can never fully put as to why the experience now is just it can't matter. I mean, it, you know, everyone says like nostalgia goggles blinds the reality. It's like I don't care. Like things, you know, there's a certain level of just like pristine of this mm-hmm. time from from 2006 to 2013. It's like you could get an experience that is wholly unique to that time period. I mean, something, you know, a game that you and I have pretty deep history of is Resident Evil 5, you know. Yeah, that was one of the first games I have on my PS3 as well. Like, I remember that was my first Resident Evil, and I remember, like, just being, like, taken, like, I I was in Africa on a safari, you know, like, <laughs> like there, there's something, there was, you know, the the net you know quote next gen of that period really felt real like when when they say like next gen now it's just like um it's like oh the resolution's a little better or you can see like the pores on the character's face i'm like that's yeah that's cool and all but like it it you know ps3 it's like oh the controller you can move the controller around with your environment or i remember burnout paradise where you could use your playstation i and it would take pictures of you during the game when you like did a cool move it's like you know there's there's like a uh like a a comforting charm to this period in time where i i will never hate the system as much as people want to like say Mm. that like oh the games didn't age well blah 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 it's like that to me no like there's unique experiences that only could occur here or then you know here and now when you know talking about like to like first booting that system on and being taken into the orchestral world or i remember you know like place your psp it's like when you booted up a game it's like has a little guitar chime or strums or the psp where you like use the screen and to Turn, uh, get to the main menu to peel it open it's like mm-hmm. there there's a cute novelty to it all it's you know now when now when you play a game it's just like it's it kind of looks like just turning your phone on it's like well yeah the, the thing's on it, do you want to use it it's like it, there's no I, i'm trying to put a word to it. it's like there's no putting you in that space anymore it's there's just... no curatorial prowess there you know there's <laughs> no like establishment of the artistic experience of sitting down and playing a game um i don't know i feel like the graphical content of these games is like it, it, i mean it is obviously such a clear next step from like the second generation of the of the playstation family or whatever but what's i, I really like the graphical capabilities of ps3 and i do not think we had to go any further than that like oh yeah i mean if they had just made like ps3 2 and just mm-hmm. like oh the games can like run better now or something but they look the same i would have been like oh cool like that's all i needed like you know if you had kept everything it from the original in a new box and just said oh ps4 in quotes i'll be like well 
that's fine by me. Like I, I, mm -hmm. I, you know, I get, I get new consoles just because I have, you know, goopy goblin gamer brain. And I'm just like, <laughs> I, I want, I want new experience or whatever, but you know, I, there's, I can't really say that even now when I'm playing like something on my PlayStation five, I don't have, I feel like I'm doing a, like, they always say like games are a chore or you're like, quote, doing nothing or whatever. And with nowadays, it kind of feels like that. But with PlayStation 3, it's like, you know, I boot up, uh, I boot up like Metal Gear Solid 4 and like, I'm seeing the, t the conclusion to the most amazing soap opera, like, uh, military operations story in history. Or I boot up, you know, uh, like we said, Resident Evil 5, and it's like, I'm taken on the greatest action adventure movie of my life, you mm -hmm. know, with with a partner. Like, there's there's a, a level of, like, it's so real, and it feels like you you are in, in the world, it's tactile, it's, it's digital, but it's like you can feel everything. And I think... I think that honestly leads us perfectly into the game tonight, Mirror's Edge. Yay. Break. Break time. Break. Wonderful. Okay, I'm going to have a cigarette if you don't mind. Oh, that's fine. Okay, great. Oh, you're doing great. I hope you're feeling confident. You sound I, wonderful. I, I'm, I feel way better this time. Just now, like, granted, I could talk with Jack for hours. Forever, literally. Yeah. <laughs> like, and granted, you know, I just got drunk really quick. That one, I'm pacing myself a little more. Um, <laughs> but I think just having, it's like this, you know, it's like learn learn from the mistakes. And I think last time I was just trying to get going. Mm -hmm. And it, this one is more like, I just go ebb and flow. Yeah, no, you, you're you doing great. I think you sound fabulous. So, okay, I'll, I'll be back in just a sec. This is my first uh, cigarette of the day, too. Oh, my God. Oh, such an experience. I know. Okay, be back soon. Hello, hello, hello. And we're back. 
we are. I love the uh, dramatic uh, opening of your blinds and it's like light is all coming in. <laughs> then they're closed again. <laughs> I, I One of the things I love is that uh, I could still hear the, what I'm assuming was the train going by. Yeah. Yeah, I could still hear the very faint train uh, going by, which I, I always... I always love in I'm so popular. It's just the train is a recurring character. Yeah, I'm. It, that's a, an underappreciated element. Is you the a lot of the plot can be heard from uh, which trains are going by because I had the um the old JR trains in Mie right next to my house when I lived there, and then here I have the uh, you know very fast paced like Chuo JR line here, and uh, they sound different, but they both appear. Um, the ones in Tokyo much more often. <laughs> yeah, I, me personally, it's just like the sound of the train just always reminds me of an Evangelion where they have the cutaways to the train, mm-hmm. uh, this the the fading uh, crosswalk signal so- like sound and just the very faint train in the background. It's very very comforting sound to me. I like it, and uh, I think someone on the TPN Patreon was like, oh. I can hear the trains again. I'm like, bitch, get with it. It's fun. It's exciting. Where yeah. else are you going to hear ambient train noises uh, from the Japanese cityscape? Okay. It, literally, it's like, you know, I, I do miss that sound as somebody who rode those trains mm-hmm. like six years ago. I rode, I didn't ride JR lines, but I rode like the standard subway routes. And I have very fond memories of being on those lines at rush hour at nine in the morning. Uh, being oh God, I was, just on a ru- I was just on a rush hour one on my way home yesterday and I could not take it out. It was like, get me off of this fucking train. <laughs> like- yeah, and I, I remember the one time I was on there and I just remember like this couple in front of me and they were kind of like giggling and I'm assuming they were just like giggling because I was in there and I was like the only like white guy there. So it's like, oh, they're probably like having a little bit of fun seeing me crammed in such a small space with a bunch uh-huh. of Japanese people. Uh, it's always, yeah, I always, I get that moment all the time. I'm like, oh, I'm the only white person on this train. What does that mean <laughs> about me? Yeah. What is it about me, a foreigner in a different country? Exactly. But so tonight we are discussing Mirror's Edge. Mirror's Edge is a PlayStation 3 and Xbox 360 game. Uh, as well as PC, it first released on November 11th, 2008. its It was developed by DICE, or which is short for Digital Illusions Creative Entertainment. They are a Swedish company, and it is published by uh, the seemingly arch enemy of the game industry, Electronic Arts. Um, uh, I remember first seeing this game on game trailers. I remember seeing the trailer and I was just gobsmacked at this game. I just, I saw the pristine glossy white glass city mm-hmm. and it was all in first person. It was no, it was never behind uh, the main character faith who I think we'll get into a little bit, but I remember, you know, it's a game that is a first person parkour game. It was, <laughs> it, it came out in the very parkour hype, I would say uh-huh. uh, back then. Uh, and I just was enamored by a game that was so dedicated to uh, capturing the experience of first person, you know, 
Faith, uh, you see when she's running and she gets to top speed, you see her arms running in frame. If you jump, you can see her legs come up. And when you roll, you see her whole body roll in front of you. You know, it. it's one of the few games where if you look down, you actually can see your legs. Like that's a thing that most first person games don't even do. It. It's a game that was so dedicated to putting you in a character's shoes and it really the only one of that era that I could remember feeling the same way uh, was like Half-Life 2 even. But Half-Life 2 doesn't go to this level of dedication to putting you in a person's shoes. So I was just curious, what was your first experience with Mirror's Edge? Um, it, it was pretty late. I, I think I, I played it for the first time in maybe twenty. 13 um a, a year or so before i graduated high school and it was with my lesbian tumblr friend and her transgender girlfriend claire um <laughs> who named herself claire after claire redfield in resident <laughs> evil <laughs> <I love laughs> she that. was an auto mechanic um and we used to uh, sleep over at stephanie's house a lot of the time and um i had brought my ps3 over and we went to gamestop and found a copy of mirror's edge for six dollars um i think they printed out so many damn motherfucking copies of this game that it just like exists in abundance in the world and Mm -hmm. um it was it was really charming we got it and we played through like the first four chapters together and then i went home and uh toiled over the like next five um and i was so enraptured by this world's art style like you said the first person totally corporeal embodiment of its protagonist um it's so expansive and clear and focused and nothing else had ever played like that for me so i also became like really like interested in like the stupid like not present narrative and at the time i thought it was like so boots (laughs) i thought it was like so fascinating and I, in fact, once cosplayed as Jackknife at the <gasps> anime convention. Oh my god! I'm like I, that's amazing. <sighs> I drew the like tattoos on my face with eyeliner. <laughs> like it was so stupid, but I was like, I put blue tape on a leather jacket and I said, "I'm Jackknife," and everyone's you... like, "Who? Who? <laughs> <laughs> who the who the hell are you talking about?" It's like Jackknife from Mirror's Edge. How can you forget? <laughs> But, you know, I, this game, it really captured my, it's like, it's one of the games that really caught my eye to PlayStation 3, that whole era, you know, especially even for its time in 2008, it really stood out heavily in that period because at the time it was coming out in the barrage of first person military shooters you know right call of duty had was basically taking over the world at this point even dice's own uh main staple series battlefield was still their bread and butter you know and you had other games that were coming out like killzone 2 was coming out you had like medal of honor like the the collective gaming culture was hyper focused on dirty grimy gritty realism military shooters with online focuses and mirror's edge is like this pristine glittering game that in a way bucks every single trend of the time you know let alone that it is a game centered on parkour no which 
there's really it's you know no other game has even tried to do that the only one that even comes close is dying light which was like six years later and even then it was under it was through the lens of a zombie game like you know mirror's edge was like on it was a wholly beautiful unique experiment that while it seemingly did really well it sold like over two million copies by the end of its life cycle which especially back then that was considered a big hit but as electronic arts was shifting into the uh very bureaucratic corporate entity that they are Mm. now it's like and they you know an experimental game like mirror's edge was a failure to them it's you know the only thing we got mirror's edge related for the longest time was an iphone prequel game like oh i played that i did too and like (laughs) it's you know you see you look back on mirror's edge you know what is it now like 14 years later and I, I I remember this tweet that came up on my feed. You know, this was like after the fact that I knew I wanted to talk about this game with you. It's like it was a one of those like gimmick accounts that's like seventh gen aesthetics or whatever. Yeah. And it's like Mirror's Edge still looks honestly breathtaking to this day. You know, it has such a such a minimalist art style. You know but it's minimalism done in a very beautiful way. It's not, it's not like minimalism in the sense of trying to like not be threatening or, you know, happy and comfy. Like today, the minimalism is in service, you know, of a very paper thin plot, albeit, but (laughs) it, it like the, the minimalism does carry this experience so much, you know, as uh, I stated earlier, the game is set in a, uh, it's an unnamed city in an unnamed location, but I'm assuming it's like an American city. Um, and the entire city is like all made of glass or white concrete with only only single punctuations of color. Like each chapter of the game will have like a central color theme. Like one in the early game, it's like only buildings will have blue or green uh, like there's a sewer level where it's just like dripping wet, you know, blocks, you know, white concrete blocks with green just cutting through it. Or, you know, later in the game, you see like a mall that's only white and orange or white and yellow or, you know, it's very simple, but it presents a very, you know, I felt this too at the time. It felt very oppressive minimalism, which mm-hmm. not many things are able to accomplish or even try to attempt it's you know i i i played it recently you know in preparation for this and it's like i'm still like i feel like a kid again being blown away by just running around the city it's like i see little details in the backgrounds and it's one of the few games where i can go up to a wall and be like amazed by a wall like Mm -hmm. it's I, it's stunning to say the least. Well, I mean, I think what's so perfect about it is that it embodies the PlayStation three ethos, like mm-hmm. the opening violins of turning the console on plus like the sinister advertising imagery combined with that. It both has a sort of under the skin menace about it while also being a totally involved and 
like world sucking game that just completely envelops you in its vision and the pristine whiteness that you keep mentioning is punctuated by those primary colors that you're running through like it really does feel so fully like complete and I think part of that is because the level design is like highly articulated it's extremely focused and streamlined Mm -hmm. um there's very minimal amount of room for branching paths or this and this and this it is a focus like learn how to navigate this uh set of level design that we've given you um it all looks with the same kind of uh, creative tools there's like no like shocking um deviation from it and I feel like that kind of creative ethos is exactly what piloted the PS3 into being like an interesting gaming platform. You're yeah, you're totally right. So it's like, you know, this was at the period of time where, a, you know, saying your game was linear was considered like you know the standard. It was not right a sort of odd thing to do. You know, we live in the age of open world games, open world RPG, where it's you get millions of things to do in this beautifully constructed world but it it kind of gets boiled down into a very repetitive like list of chores that you have to mm-hmm. do in order to progress where it's linear or mirror's edge is linear as you can get you know there's only like one way out of a specific like a like a big area of the le- of this chapter there's only one way to get out and it's about finding the path find in you know, the game has a very clever way utilizing its primary color scheme, which the main color of this game is red. And it has a very charming, but very, like, it fits within the world of Mirror's Edge. This, they call it runner's vision. Runner's vision. <laughs> yeah. And, you know, you see punctuated red areas that help guide you through this world that is more or less just trying to kill you. And, you know, it's it kind of, like, stands in, in contrast of, like, when we think of minimalism today, it's like minimalism's trying to be your friend, but like this minimalism's trying to kill you. And I, yeah, it's, 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 That's, so, it's so PS3, isn't it? Yeah. It's so PS3. It's, you know, I, I have to just like commend the people in charge of this game, you know, to, you know, this was, you know, EA, you know, back in the day, they were a very interesting company. They were, you know, they would make their sort of crowd hits, you know, like their, you know, their sports titles or whatever. But this was a period where this was like a brief period in EA where they were allowing some of their develop developers to really create unique experiences that were very driven by artists. And mm. we saw creations such as like uh, Dead Space co- coming out around the same time as Mirror's Edge. We saw uh, the Saboteur, which is like this... Uh, the inner saboteur? <laughs> what? Who is your inner saboteur, Miss <laughs> Cracker? Miss Crumbs. <laughs> the person who I think is not a star in this lineup is Miss Cracker and Mrs. Crumbs. <laughs> <laughs> I, I remember, oh god that, that's sorry so, no, i didn't no, mean to do that no, to you. no i that's fine like as <laughs> you know i had drag race on the brain before we came, started the show but you know it's funny too because drag race started around mirror's edge but uh like this was a very you know there's the saboteur which was a like a game about a french re- uh revolutionary in a in a black and white color palette uh liberating france from the nazis Mm -hmm. you know 
it's this was a weird little period where EA was both being very loose with their developers, but like uh, at this time also EA was beginning to uh, shut down a ton of these studios, like uh, the Saboteurs developers, uh, Pan- uh, Pandemic Studios got shut down immediately after the Saboteur came out, basically. You know, Dead Space would become like an action game in a very bland way. And DICE basically was never given like a chance really to experiment on the level of Mirror's Edge. You know, they just basically went back to making their military shooter series. You know, and I think, you know, when you know i play when i play mirror's edge it's you know it feels it feels like the like a there wasn't there was like a branching path in the timeline or something if Mm -hmm. if this game had done well maybe we could have seen more unique things you know it was even said i think i can't confirm it but it was said like Mirror's Edge was supposed to be a bigger game with a lot more things to do, or maybe not things to do, but the story was going to be a little bit more grander, or it's going to be a little bit longer, and you know, I guess we can get into the game proper with that, so Mirror's Edge stars the, you know, your character Faith Connors, she is a runner (laughs) Stop (laughs) Faith Connors I love that name (laughs) It's so, <laughs> it's it's so it's so like on the nose. It's like, uh, so she is a runner, and runners in this world are basically couriers of sensitive information in this world where the government is controlling people in line. It it gives me very Half Life Two tea, um, but in like a different in a different way. Uh-huh. Like we're in half-life 2 it's very like the citadel is like literally like a like a genocidal alien race controlling civilization through like you know uh having population control Mm -hmm. and all that sort of stuff but like here this government is more or less trying to just keep everyone in line and sort of keep the status quo uh they round up uh political like criminals and the these runners serve as a way to keep the information flowing. And as uh, Faith says in the opening cutscene, it's like, we live between the gloss and the reality, the mirror's edge. And it's like, <laughs> roll credits. <laughs> yeah, like, I'm, I'm obsessed with like the vapidity of this plot. It's like so cute and charming. It just is like, authoritarianism is bad. Run away. And it like I some of like the like background details of this that like very meekly try to world build. Um, when I was playing this with my friend yesterday, we came across a computer that had like a memo up from some employee of the security company, and he's like, "Oh, like my aunt was involved in the free speech movement, and now <laughs> they are prosecuting me, and they all think I'm a liberal." And I was like. Oh, oh, you sweet little game. You have it wrong. It's the other way around. (laughs) It's like so cute. Like when they imagine like this dystopia, what they imagine is censorship um, and like too much cleanliness. Like it's true. Like that is the way things are being pushed. It's like the kind of global homo art style of the cutscenes, which are 
they're done in like this ugly animation yeah. where it's like no details. It's like actually wow. Mirror's Edge is like right about the dystopia. Yeah, it and I remember back then everyone ridiculed the cutscenes for being they look like insurance commercials. Yes. I and it's so true. It's they're so and it, they said like the the creators dice uh didn't know how to do like 2d art basically so they outsourced this to somebody and i just think you know these like the writer and the director of this game are just like this is our grand story about censorship and why government bad and it's like they probably gave these like animators like you know two quarters and like a sandwich be like okay make this it's like yeah and they just like try to put it together in, like java flash or something like yeah it looks like a newgrounds animation <laughs> yes exactly it's so ugly and i love it because it's like <clears throat> the kind of like libertarian edge of this game it's like you have to run you have to abandon like morality and live on the edge between gloss and reality and you have to be the one who's interrupting this complete pristine whiteness and you have to be the grit on the city and it's, it's like, like it's cute yeah, it's true it's like you know like for, as we said dice is a swedish company and dice to put it lightly dice has uh can't do stories or if they like get something right they completely screw it up later on in the Didn't game they do like a star wars battlefront game where you're like a black stormtrooper woman or something i i, I maybe <laughs> i could not tell you but like you know it's like you know dice whenever they try to like tackle like a grand like story concept uh it's usually it's like they you can tell that they're trying like they're trying really hard in their Swedish little brains. It's like, you know, if you if you like told them like, you know, maybe push it a little bit harder. But they're just like, uh, we do not understand other thing but meatballs and uh, shooter Ikea. game. Yeah. Yeah. It's a like shooter games. Ikea's. um Yeah. Like the Swedish chef trying to do authoritarianism. It turns out. <laughs> Because, I mean, it's so, like, vapid and empty and wrong that, like, oops, it's actually exactly correct and true. Yeah, it's it feels, <laughs> it's it's intentional, but, like, doesn't land. But somehow in the landing, it, like, does a perfect 10. Like, I oh, for me, yeah. for me, like, it's it's kind of incredible. Like, it, I, I rarely can see a game where it, like, it has a concept. It, like, makes, it's like a kid trying to make a science project. And they kind of fuck it up, but then they, uh, it's actually, they're kind of genius. But if like, maybe if they had a little like outside influence, maybe they could have been, they could have like really blew the world away. But, you know, you, you're, so you, you play as Faith in this game and she has her little runner group full of, with, uh, Kate, uh, with her iconic her sister little, Kate. Yeah. Or Kate. And then, uh, the Celeste, her, yeah, Celeste and Merc. Merc. Uh, short for Mercury. <laughs> it's like... Okay, so I was playing this in Japanese and they give him a very low manly voice. But I recall, I think in the original, he kind of sounds a little poofy, doesn't he? Not Is that wrong? I don't remember. God, I can't think of like a comparable. I mean, he's de he's low. He has a low tone in the American version. Oh, okay. But like, he has a little bit of sass. Yeah, the, Jap the Japanese They erase dub. that completely in the japanese dub he's just like 
he's like bottle and like ghost in the shell or something but like not even like sassy he just is like a like low masculine voice like you have to hurry get to the thing <laughs> yeah it's like in the in it, all his because most of his dialogue is just him chatting through your earpiece he's like your little guide character and like you know if like you're not going fast enough it's like faith get get your get your ass going or you know he's little he's he's a little sassy little boy he's a sassy little guy <laughs> You know, he's, he's, you know, you know, he's, you know, sipping his, he's watching Drag Race while it's quiet, probably. I don't know. It's, it's, exactly. (laughs) And then you have like Celeste and like her lipstick lesbian, like look, like with that. Yeah, like 2008, like, because there was that like little run of movies that was like ultraviolet, like underworld, you know, where it's like, it's like badass, kind of like dykey woman, like taking over being boots slaying yeah. the competition and she definitely is giving it's like celestis she's got her you know her tank top but she shows a little bit of stomach you know she's got her very pulled back ponytail and she's got a mean mug on her face it's like got a mean mug honey it's, it's it, i just love this little eclectic little little runner network that they have you know, and then there's like the one unnamed black character that just like shows up for five seconds. Five and then, seconds, and then bye. It's like, it's like he just show, and he's like he, he's like there like when you fall through the glass in this like set piece moment, and he's like, oh, I just stumbled upon you. It's like, well, look, time to get you out of here. Bye. It's and like... then the, the and then that chapter is over. <laughs> really graceful narrative at work here. So. Uh, but like Mirror's Edge, so the the whole crux of it is Faith and her twin sister Kate. Uh, Kate is a police officer in town, and one early morning, Kate is brought to uh, I forget his full name, but is Pope. He is a mm-hmm. uh, he's a governor or he's a he's like a mayor candidate for the city, and he is shot in his office. And uh, Faith goes run in there, and Kate's waiting there. And Kate is going to be framed as the murderer, and Faith That's has right. to Faith has to run, girl, run, girl, get out of there. It's it's like it, it's such like it's it it's very charming how it gets it go, going, and it tries to sprinkle in the little nuggets of intrigue, like you know you you meet early in the game Jackknife, the sort of on the edge guy who's got a sick face tattoo, and he's you know he's got his like his faux hawk haircut and you know he's telling faith like there's someone in control high up who wants the runners out of here and (laughs) it's like the game the game just like has it's like the epitome of like breadcrumbs where it just like it gives you enough little things to keep you going where it just let where where there's those those moments where you're not in like cutscene territory or story beat it's like the world does the carrying and it's you you really get to see the whole like landscape of the city it's it, i think the city itself does a better job at telling the story than the story itself cuz you get to see so much of this town like you go running through office buildings you run through the sewers you run through subway yeah the boat yeah a uh, subway the subway system you know uh you you really get the whole gamut of this like city in a very short game too. It's probably 
at longest, it probably take you 10 hours to beat, but I would say it probably is like a five to seven hour game. Mm-hmm. But I, you play through it and you get so enveloped in this world. And, you know, I think it does speak to volume how powerful that first person perspective is, you know, you know, the, it, there was always the the topic of immersion in games, like how how immersive can a game be? There's, you know, it's like, is it a, is it graphics only? Is it art style, story, what have you? And I think Mirror's Edge is a an example of having enough p- pieces to the plate where it comes together in a very magical way. You know, one of the best parts of that this game is its soundtrack by Solar oh, yeah. Solar Fields. It's it it it's each song in the game for each chapter is like broken into three parts. You have like the, the puzzle section trying to find your way to the exit. It's very, it's lo-fi before lo-fi became like the standard for music nowadays, but it doesn't feel like, I guess you could say lazy or something. It's very intentional. Very deliberate. And you know, there's the very iconic theme of this game, Still Alive, by <laughs> sung, sung by Swedish pop star Lisa Mitskovsky, I think is her name. And what is she, she going to guest host on Drag Race? <laughs> When's she going to be on Drag Race UK or something? Yeah. But like, and man, she sings her heart out. She really embodies the twirl of it all. She mothered... Have you seen the music video? Yes, it is amazing. Yeah, it is amazing. I mean, when like Jack Orton and the Thought Topics little girlianas were talking about Titanic, they they talked about like the music video for My Heart Will Go On. And f- for some weird reason, like this just fires the like neurons in my head. And when I hear that song and see the music video, it like it really okay, because I'm I've been trying to think about exactly like what is like so special to me about this game. And mm-hmm. like, we talked about like the paper thin like plot that like doesn't do anything. It's just like there to move you from like one place to the next and like give you like a textural like inside to the game. And I feel like when it's at its most powerful, it's like when you're like running or like when you accomplish like some jump that you think you're not going to be able to pull off and it's like truly exhilarating when you like yeah. don't fall to your death like you feel yeah. still alive yeah, yeah, i'm still like and that's another thing if i'll just mention this game is very brutal to like faith when you die like if you fall off a building it is one of the most terrifying mm-hmm. feelings like when you know, you know, normal game death, it's like a melodramatic, like your character model falls down. It's like game over. No, in this game, the screen violently shakes in like this loud piercing sound and you hear Faith's body crunch against the 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 ground. Yeah, crunch and gush. Yeah, it's and this game's only rated teen, mind you. It's like it it only shows like a little bit of blood and violence and guns and a mild swearing. It's not violent, but this game is like it reminds me of the last of us 2 or like the last of us series when you die in that game where it cuts to black right before the like worst part is but you hear what happens you hear the death coming in that like you think it plays like the sound of death you know it's like the, and the this has like the same thing as you like fall like um it's especially horrible when you like fall into like the sewer pit or like you get oh, yeah. hit by a train or something yeah, <laughs> like it it's so violent and it really 
it makes it's one of the few instances of a game really making me feel like awful it's like you know this is a game i will say you and me were talking beforehand this game is a little bit clunky nowadays it's a little awkward it's <laughs> yeah. a little little chunky uh but like like you were saying it's like when you get in that rhythm when it's like there's a there's like a almost a minor visual cue when faith you start you hear her you know her breath getting you know faster and faster as she runs and you can like the world around you starts to blur and it's like you really do feel like her running for your life running from these like you know police forces that are gunning her down in helicopters as she's jumping across these skylines and the game does such really uh creative ways of like making the act of running from a to b very exciting like i think early on the game when you're like escaping the police when your sister gets framed you like slide down that building mm-hmm. like that or later in the game when they introduce the police force that are trained as runners and it's like you're being chased by people like you through these mazes and you you have like no time to think and you have it's, it's genuinely panic inducing yeah it's it, it's it's one of the few times it's it's a game that accomplishes like the use of gameplay to sell itself like there's there's always this conversation of like you know the story and the gameplay feel disconnected from each other it's like one feels kind of like a bad movie playing in front of you with awkward animations and then the game is like a chore like i think of horizon forbidden west that came out this year it's like there's no merging of the two things but like when mirror's edge when you get into that rhythm where you're full speed you know swinging on pipes landing perfect rolls or you know you're doing combos to like maneuver between walls it you it's it's, it succeeds in putting you in a place in a character's position in it and it makes the story feel better like and at while doing this it's kind of incredible because if this was any other attempt or if this if the gameplay did not hit as well as it does this game would have been just bad i think like yeah because i mean you mentioned that it's it feels like clunky retrospectively and I was getting, like, frustrated, actually, like, playing this. Uh, I played it on normal mode. I don't know if you did, too, but, mm-hmm. like, it is so punishing when you you get shot twice or hit with a gun twice and you have to do it again. And it's quite forgiving with where it, like, respawns you or whatever, but yeah, some of the jumps, some of, like, the, you know, gun sequences that you have to go through are, like, genuinely irritating, but... I actually like how frustrating some of it is because then when you have that perfect, you know, synchronous moment where you are, you've just pulled off some great little wall jump and you can see like the distant city behind you as you're like tumbling onto a building much further than you thought it was and you still make it like, um, yeah, it really like pulls off like the whole ethos of this mission. Like the plot is suggesting that you have to be the grit. You have to be the edge of the mirror. You have to be alive and like be, you know, running full force through it. And when it like merges into that single moment, oh my God, it's truly transcendental gaming. Yeah, it's, I mean, you know, I think like this game is it's it really is the only of its type because 
you know, it was no other game even tried to uh, like refine this idea. Even the reboot of this game that came out eight years later called Mirror's Edge Catalyst, I think mm-hmm. it's an example of like they they didn't learn from the mistake and they decided to make it harder for themselves where they made it an open world game and they reboot and try to make they try to raise the stakes or whatever but it doesn't it doesn't hit it almost this game works as the little slice it is like you know as you progress through this game and you progress through this world as you learn the twists of this game like you learn that the city is conducting this secret operation that is trying to get rid of the runners and they're trading their own special force of runners to eliminate, you know, all your friends. And then towards the end of the game, you learn the twist that shocker Celeste was the one who killed mm. Pope. It's, and I, I, I love that reveal because it's all done in those e insurance commercial uh-huh. animations. And it's just like, you know, why did you do it? Celeste? It's, I just want a comfortable life. It's like, it, it's yeah. And she says, "Oh, the, can't you see? Like the age of the runners is over. It, no, it's not, bitch. I'm about to run and twirl and jump yeah. off of this thing. And look, I'm alive. <laughs> yeah, I'm still alive. Exactly. And, and you know, if there's one thing that like this game just it like hits for me personally, it's it's like you traverse these different levels, which don't feel like a game level they feel like places like i was saying earlier it's like you get up close to these environments and you can see like the way that the rock on the walls is detailed it's like kind of wet and like as if someone had like put a sprinkler on it and it just feels so like perfectly just kept this way and in like an order it's hard to like describe you 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 in a way you have to like play it to understand it oh you, you totally know? do and you know there's even like levels like the boat level like the boat level you start from outside it and you work through the inner mechanisms of this ginormous cargo ship and you're like solving the little environmental puzzles and you see all these like little clues and like little spice spices of the world building and i put world building in like quotes it's very minimal but you know you it, it it's amazing how how far level like build in a way it's like the ps3 how hd and this new next gen really felt like the promise that we were going to get we were going to get worlds that are like ours there it's not exactly our world but it's close enough and we feel it's tangibility it's tactileness it's believable mm-hmm. and you know i i could i you know before i had replayed this i could think of like different parts of this game very vividly like the Me sewer too. level like the sewer level where you're just like what seems like hundreds of feet in the air as like police forces are trying to snipe you as you jump between uh you know these pillars and it feels legitimately life-threatening or the series of uh police helicopter chases where you're weaving through different you know air conditioning units and uh staircases or stuff like that it it's 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 amazing how just even 
even a simple story can be elevated to a unique and beautiful experience that, you know, only this time period seemingly could create and could create pretty successfully. You know, I think you can look at the reboot and just be like, okay, it's following trends. Even mm-hmm. I think of like, you know, they reboot the game city from being this basically real city into a future city. And it feels like they just heard people like the graphics and are like, well, what if we make the graphics more graphics-y, you know? <laughs> yeah, it's exactly that. It, it it doesn't it doesn't understand that, like, this era of gaming, the PlayStation 3, was things are real now. Like, you know, the, the when you look at PlayStation 2, there was the there was the jump from one to two. Like you could tell things were they were almost real they're real enough and you could believe it but now it's like ps3 it's like faith is real and you know i i just want to make note of faith's design is literally perfection like Mm -hmm. she's she is one of the most beautifully designed characters in any game i've ever seen uh you know from her very beautiful bowl cut like Oh, her little chop, her little, you know, that's not clean cut. It's a little razor edged cut, like, because she's just an edgy girl. (laughs) She's just on the edge, honey. Yeah, she's got her eye tattoo. She's got her little digital arm sleeve tattoo, her weird, her weird, like, shoes. Like, can we talk about the shoes? Oh, the (laughs) little red, like, foot shoes. I don't know how to describe them, but they're they're funny. (laughs) Yeah, like, and I love how her outfit is just that black sports, you know, tank top with the car- white cargo pants. And the only bit of color are her shoes and her fingerless glove. Oh God. It's incredible. <laughs> um, Something I was thinking about why like catalyst, the reboot is like uh, not so interesting is because like, as you said, this was like the first step into like new realities that games could present with this, uh, new frontier of, of graphics or whatever but um what it does is it kind of like reimagines like the quintessential video game from like time past like it's, it's a platforming game it's literally mario yeah <laughs> like it, it is it, it's a platforming mario game but the thing is is that with like this um artistic and creative direction and uh the loose empty plot and all of it it feels uh much more like innovative and in something like special to to be in it it feels like the logical conclusion like for what the initial instinct of gaming which is like the platforming sensation like where it was all leading up to yeah like it feels you know we said like playstation 3 was the end the final console it's like mirror's edge feels like the final platform game like yeah 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 like it's you know, you look at the platform genre, you, you know, you think of Mario or like a Donkey Kong, which are very rudimentary, simple, cartoony games, you know, that, you know, and I'm not knocking these games because they're well designed, beautiful in some cases. It's like, it's like Mirror's Edge took that concept and said, you know, let's put it in the real world and like how, like, what if i hate to say this because it's gonna sound so cringe what if mario was real it's like what if mario is real what would it mean and the answer is like it would still be like vapid and silly and augmented as as gaming fundamentally is as an art form but 
it can still brush against the sublime and transcendental. Like, or brush against the mirror's edge. Cut yourself on the mirror's <laughs> edge and feel the rush of life, honey. Uh, uh, it's, uh, and you know, you know, we say how this game has like a little bit of vapidness and silliness to us. And it's like, you look at where this game's inspirations come from. It's the chase scene in Casino Royale and the Jason uh-huh. Bourne movies. It's like, you know, the Swedish, the sweet, these poor little Swedes, they're just like government, they just see like government espionage and like, uh, like, you know, government bad story. And they're just like, we can do better. It's like, I, and then I, what they do is they turn it into Ikea. Like, it's like <laughs> literally like Ikea. And I was like thinking about True Lies, actually, which is, oh. you know, one of the most like bombastic action films ever made. One of my favorites. And like the set pieces of this, when you are jumping off the edge of a skyscraper into a helicopter, when you are crashing through a glass roof, like um, it feels like uh, that, but taken very seriously and unwinkingly, and I, I love it. Yeah, it like the game. The game does not ever believe itself to be something like it's not in with its own joke. Like, it doesn't. It doesn't laugh at itself. Yeah, it takes one itself, time. Yeah, it's one hundred percent serious. Mm-hmm. It never flinches, and it really just just goes for it. You know it. It's it they it's like the developers thought like we have this amount of money and we can only do like a very short game. We're just gonna go for it. We're gonna put everything we can that we can cram into this concept, a first person platforming game, and what can we do with it? And it really does do a lot of creative ways to spice it up. You know, there's there's obviously the epitomous like chase scenes where you're running mm-hmm. away from the police you have kind of like pseudo puzzle segments where it's not like move you know x block to y position where it's more like okay the exit of this room is up in up the corner yeah and how do how- i get there like what scaffolding do i have to use and yeah it's like i mean it's Okay, the the concept of gaming puzzles is like so strange to me because like it's such a common word and like the only like puzzles I can ever think of is like compelling or like in Silent Hill and like yeah. Resident Evil and like those kind of puzzles have always like interested me. But this is like a, a really special kind of innovation on the quote puzzle unquote, where you like have to really think about your environment in ways that don't quite make sense so that you figure out how to get onto some like, piece of scaffolding. Yeah, like you have to jump between like air conditioning units that are jutting out from the wall or find the one bit of like edge that you can grab on and oh, shimmy sh- shimmy that, across. That penultimate, like second to last chapter, Kate, when you're in like that big, like abandoned scaffolding tower is like, you know, I played this before. Like I should have, you know, I, I thought I would have been able to remember it, but like it took me actually like ages to like figure out how to get up that shit yeah no i mean i had several instances of that while going through this recently where it's like am i that bad at games now where it's like uh what seemed to me as a teenager i'm just like oh this this all makes sense to me it's fairly you know straightforward but now it's like wow this feels like a ginormous maze that feels very specifically built the way it is which is a 
one of the best parts about a linear game. It's mm-hmm. it's purposely designed the way it is to hit certain reactions out of you. You know, uh, if I may, like I tangent, you know, because this is something you talked about on your show. It's The Last of Us 2. It's like that is a linear ass game. Oh, yeah. And it hits it hits beats because it wants to an elicit reaction to you. And you have, you know, little puzzle segments to break up the, you know, the pacing of that game. And, you know, it feels specifically designed the way it does because it's trying to tell its own story to put you in this basically real life depiction of the post-apocalypse. You know, I, I, I stand, I plant my flag in the ground saying linear games were never bad and people demanding open world were uh, uh, being children at the time. Like, you know, I, I, you know, they, they, Grand Theft Auto is the easiest point. It's like everyone wanted a Grand Theft Auto where you can be mm-hmm. in a world and that's the quote immersion. Like you think of like Fallout 3, which came out the same year as Mirror's Edge or Skyrim or you know, the Far Cry games where it's like people misconstrued immersion and a a place or a sense of place in a, in a digital world is it's big and it's got nice graphics and you can like do random wacky things. No chores, yeah. <laughs> yeah, but, and even Mirror's Edge Catalyst, the reboot falls into this problem. It's like you, when you create openness in a game, you're creating more headaches and more possible ways to distract the player, which will get them bored and get them uninterested in this vision. Mean, you know, meanwhile, Mirror's Edge, the original in 2008, you know, it has a single goal, a single goal to get through. It wants you to experience these puzzle segments, experience these very serene and beautiful moments of platforming where there's no threat and it's like you are traversing literally a concrete jungle like and you have that beautiful solar field score that just punctuates these little moments of bliss that i think really make this world this unknown city you know I wish it had a name because if it did, I would like I would have remembered the name of the city like in a heartbeat. Like, a- oh yeah, I, but I love that it's like so like expansive and empty and like the there's like Chinese and Japanese on the walls everywhere. Is like well, it's mm-hmm. like English. It like feels like so global. It feels like Canada. <laughs> I mean. Yeah, it actually does. It feels it's like, like a- it's like Vancouver. Vancouver. It's like <laughs> Vancouver, like in hell negative it's like it's like evil vancouver if vancouver wasn't evil enough already (laughs) oh that's so true it's it's i i don't know it's like i you know they always say how i like you know the power of a game is the fact of how believable and how much it can engross you in experience you know those moments where you know, you look at the watch and or you know, look at your phone. And it's like eight o'clock at night, and the next time you check, it's midnight. It's like, where did the time go? It's like mm-hmm. the power of immersion is arguably one of gaming's strongest, you know, uh, elements to it. And you, sure, you can say that about like movies or music or books, where it can create that feeling. But 
games because they are an active medium where it's you dictate how the story in a way progresses you know i think that you you i'm like (laughs) i'm like rambling in a in a sort of circle but no no you're making total sense because you know you've been wondering like what is like the lasting appeal like why is this game like fondly remembered like what does it mean to us both and it's like this is a, a testament to like what gaming can do when it like really artistically sets itself out to be immersive in this unique way instead of like the blanket immersion of like some big dumb play box that you can like fuck around in like this is um a very focused and well-designed singular experience that is so convincingly drawn and beautifully imagined that it feels um like it really does emulate the ecstasy of being alive by just focusing so heavily on on this sense of immersion like you have it exactly right yeah it's there i i really do think that there are not not many games that can create this response in your mind and your body the way that mirror's edge does it's a very it's a game that makes you hug the controller by it's very obtuse and strange control scheme where l1 is the jump button (laughs) instead of instinctually being like the x button you know it 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 really does it's 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 immersion it puts you in a character's shoe it it it, to to quote our one of our dearest mutuals miss retarded it is the seventh gen it's it's you know it's when technology finally hits a point where it's not about the quote restraints that we work with to create a experience working with the sort of limitations you know you know the playstation one being rudimentary 3d or the playstation 2 being you know very believable but still has that gamey quality and look to it it's now we have the technology to create a lived in place that's it's a lived in place while not being lived in you don't see people and if you see it, it, it you if you see people it's like silhouette people a la persona 5 mm-hmm. you know it's if it, it, it's a you finally feel like you are in a world and not just of a level per se it's it's incredibly just so dedicated to its very in many ways simple premise you know a running a a platforming game and it takes itself to another level through the technology and through um just its full frontal commitment to making you feel like your faith and you feel her fear you you feel her fear you feel her her running you know her her breath as she's getting you know she's sprinting and she's you know running for her life you do feel like once you get to that checkpoint at the end when the game is like okay we're gonna load we're gonna load you the next level much like the theme song we are still alive beautiful and i think when i look back on this game which i think you know you and i have fond memories but i know there are several mutuals you know you know my uh, you know i can think of one mutual of mine who very holds this game deep 
very close to his heart as it came to mine. And I'm sure you have your own who have that same experience that those people who played this game understood what it meant. You know, if you opened, you know, yourself to this, this game, the singular experience, you really did feel it. And I think if games, you know, today could have this determination, this will, this, you know, I guess, you know, call to action, I guess you could say about being, you know, committed to your art and committed to delivering an experience that is unique that I think you will create lifelong fans and lifelong lovers of your product. It's not, it's not about like, I pay $60, I get my game, I return it, you know, it, you know, in and out, doesn't matter. It's, you create an experience that sticks with people for 14 years, you know, and to know that this game, you know, it never panned out as what I'm assuming EA had hoped for to this, for this to be a mega franchise or whatever they thought this game could be. I think, you know, to close, you know, tonight out, I think, you know, Mirror's Edge was a moment in time in gaming as an art form that the industry was still trying to deliver something unique. It was still looking to provide us something that would last and not just be the singular, like, you know, a pump and dump experience where it's just like, <laughs> I'm, he I'm here to, you know, I'm here to get my, you know, my uh, rush of excitement for the weekend and that's it. And I forget, you know, if I think if I had a closing message, you know, I think Mirror's Edge, for lack of a better way to say it, 14 years later is still alive. Beautiful. And we'll cut it there. Yeah.